From Moses, the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, this is the In Her Boots podcast, a show about women farmers cultivating the sustainable and organic agriculture movement and how she does it. My name's Lisa Kiverest, and I founded and lead the award-winning Moses Rural Women's Project. I'm a farmer myself, running in serendipity with my family in Wisconsin, and I'm the author of Soil Sisters, a toolkit for women farmers. The In Her Boots podcast celebrates the collaborative spirit of us women farmers, sharing ideas and inspiration with each other. Whether you're a woman with a dream of starting your own farm or already have your hands deep in the soil, there's something for you here. This podcast series features women who have hosted one of our Moses In Her Boots workshops, offering you now the opportunity to share the In Her Boots experience virtually and meet these amazing women farmers. Today we have a special episode we call Pioneer Women in Organics, where we chat with a woman who has had her hands in the soil and her heart in transforming our food system for over 20 years or more. Come join Della Enns of Scotch Hill Farm in Broadhead, Wisconsin, as she shares her journey of being a true organic pioneer and starting her operations as one of the first CSAs in Wisconsin. And Della raises more than vegetables on her land She's committed to her family and the next generation of eaters and stepping up to the leadership plate to get things done. Hello, we are here with Della Enns of Scotch Hill Farm from Broadhead, Wisconsin at the Moses Conference. Hi, Della. Hi, Lisa. Now, I'm fortunate, I have to say from the start, because Della is my neighbor down in southern Wisconsin, so I get to cross paths with her frequently on all sorts of fronts. Our work with the Wisconsin Farmers Union and Moses and Potlucks and others. So so this is kind of a treat, actually, for me to get to sit down and chat with Della on her story, really, and sharing her thoughts, particularly in this series as we're talking about advice and inspiration for beginning women farmers. Because Della, you hosted one of our In Her Boots workshops, well, a lot of events for Moses over the years, but one of our In Her Boots workshops a couple of years ago. And there were a lot of, and continue to be, a lot of beginning women farmers who are attracted to these types of events and really love that welcoming environment that we create. So we'd love to capture some of your stories and resources and anywhere you want to take it to capture that inspirational boost. So maybe you could kick us off with a little bit on the story of Scotch Hill Farm, because you guys have been there now 23 years. Three years. Awesome. Yeah. It's, it's been a long journey now. (laughs) We came to the farm, um, not as farmers and we learned everything by trial and error pretty much when we started our children were small and we were on an adventure so when you say you weren't farmers you you came with the intent of starting the farm but the knowledge base was new or you had learned well we were city people we were city dwellers but my husband worked in journalism and newspaper and i worked in vocational rehabilitation and when we came to Wisconsin, he was still working in newspaper. But when we bought the farm, uh, the children were small, and I was homeschooling. And we started a very small CSA with just five members the first year. And we're testing the waters in a, a short season. And that's how it began. Wow. Because back then was before what? 3,600 people descended upon La Crosse in oh, absolutely. the Moses Conference <laughs> yeah. like this weekend. Uh, how, uh, I, I'm 
just asking more so your reflections how have things changed from your perspective or well, how we went to the moses conference when it was at Cincinnati mound yeah. and it was much smaller probably under 500 maybe a couple hundred people back then i was trying to remember uh, a lot of things about that conference but it was really exciting um all the opportunities back then everything was new and we were young and um we learned so much from that conference and from people that we've met and it's it's amazing now to come here and still see those people and they're teaching other people to this day wow so what prompted the farming livelihood and lifestyle when you said you came from this city because you were north yeah. carolina both of you we were rooted, and right? i uh, going way back in history when i was really young um probably only 20 i just had a gut feeling that i needed to teach my children how to grow their food and i didn't have any children then but um it took finding a partner that wanted to do something like that too or support me in it and he was very supportive of me, more so because I think it was my dream than his. But together, uh, when we moved to Wisconsin and were able to buy a property with a little bit of land and buildings, farm buildings, and um, just begin to to venture out with our, our family on this incredible voyage we've been on. That's great. And your kids have been a part of the farm, well, really, since day one, mm-hmm. but you took it to another level and have always been an inspiration for me personally and a lot of families on the homeschooling front as far as a way to integrate your kids into the farming livelihood. But could, And I know your kids are all adults and, and, and out of the house, although some live next door and are mm-hmm. part of the farm still, but what advice would you give to a woman farmer starting off with both the family and the farm and curious about the homeschooling side? Well, I really enjoyed doing that. My degree in college was in education, so maybe that helped some. But the farm is such an incredible learning lab. And for me, we were learning all the time we were going. I was learning with them, learning how to raise chickens and goats and sheep and and all these things that I had never done. And so learning that with our kids and um, yeah, it was, it's just amazing to, to hatch eggs and birth baby animals and raise a garden. And, and uh, there's endless opportunities for learning. And how did that work on the, I'll call it attemptive life balance front? Because the comment we often hear from books like, I just don't know how you could do that. Or how do you have the time? <laughs> or, I was 20 years younger. Or was it fuzzy at the time looking back? <laughs> I, I was much younger. But um, I don't know. You, you do <laughs> you look back do. and go, how the heck did we do that? But um, it was really, it was fun. And the older kids helped the younger kids. How um, many kids do you have? I, ha- I had four in the homeschool on the farm. The oldest was um, was done. But... The olders help the littles, and and I have friends who still do it. So um, it takes a lot of teamwork. And um, homeschool is, if you're an efficient teacher, and you know this, that you can get a lot done in a little time. And I think probably in the school sometimes it takes a lot more time to herd a whole class through something than it does individual children to do things. So we were pretty efficient with our time. Mm-hmm. And... Um, then and they were very helpful. 
That's great. What skills do you think your kids developed growing up on the farm and particularly too with the whole well, they probably each would tell you something different. <laughs> um, my daughter Holly raises horses and has done that for years, and she teaches riding, and she shows horses and breeds, and she loves that. And um, and she and her husband have absolutely gorgeous gardens at their farm. So, and they say, "Oh, this is all your fault." <laughs> so, and we, we yep. smile and say, "That's great." So it, it's really exciting. And now they're growing grapes for a little vineyard. So um, they've branched off in their own direction. But uh, it's really exciting to see them do that. Um, our son, middle son Joel, went into the Marines, and when he was in the military, he said, "You know, growing up on the farm taught me a lot about life and death." And when other guys were learning what it was like to see death, I already knew. And um, he's still interested in the farm, too, but he's not farming. And our youngest son, Micah, and his wife have started a a grade-aid goat dairy at our farm. And he loved raising goats, and his older siblings taught him everything he knew about goats as a child, and they would show the goats and get pink ribbons and red ribbons. And Micah got in there and always got blue ribbons because they taught him all, all the pros and cons. <laughs> and he's just always loved the goats. And now he's raising his little boys, teaching them about the goats. So it's pretty cool. Because 4-H was a big part of your family yes. growing up too, right? Well, it was with my children. I yeah. didn't, I didn't do it kids, as yep. a child. But... Um, I was amazed by it when we learned about it because I learned right along with them and then they they were competitive, but it was something all our kids could do, male, female, no matter what their age was, they were all in it together and it, it worked really well with homeschooling. So what advice would you give a woman on that family front to aside from the homeschooling side, but just the making it all work because uh, we hear that question come up a lot at the In Hoop Roots workshops too of women before they even have kids and babies of like, how am I going to do this? I can barely manage this on my own without any other responsibilities. But Well, I'm watching my daughter-in-law do it right now yeah. with two tiny little guys, tinier than mine were when we came to the farm. So she has a two-year-old and a nine-month-old. And she goes out there with the stroller, one on her back, and milks the goats and tends to the newborns and does all those things that need to be done. And I think, wow, how come you're not asking me for help? <laughs> I'd love to hold the babies. But she wants to do it, and she's very determined that she can do this, and it's quite amazing, and she does it. So... All strap can, them on and go. Yeah, strap them on and go, and <laughs> well, don't yeah, don't be afraid that everything's a phase, mm-hmm. and little kids turn into bigger kids, and they turn into teens, mm-hmm. and then they're and audio I, engineers on your podcast. That's right. Yeah, and you you just teach them what's safe and not safe, and I don't know. I think it teaches a lot of responsibility, and uh, I I'm really happy that I raised my kids that way because they're responsible adults now. Oh, great. And, Going back to the farm today, so you've always done the CSA, right? Really, since the start and that before was, CSA really took off. Yeah, nobody knew what CSA was yeah. <laughs> when we did it. I had to explain it to everybody, and now they do. And it's, um, 
it's never been a real big CSA. We've been small to uh, mid-sized, but now we're going back to small because we're getting older and we're letting more space go to the goats for Micah. And, um, and we're older and we don't want to work that hard. It's still hard work, but um, we're looking at other ways to make the farm work. And I've made the soap for years, the goat milk soap, which is another income stream for us. So didn't that start off with your kids too, or was that? Um, it did. It started. It started as a homeschool project. We went to the library to learn to make soap, and then my mother uh, found a bar of goat milk soap somewhere and sent it to us. And we were like, "Oh wow, this is really cool!" And my husband said, "Do that because if you can sell soap, then we can afford to buy feed." So that's how it worked in the and, beginning. And the thing with soap too is it's not obviously an edible product, so making right. it, and producing it. I'm assuming was a whole lot more feasible and economical than anything well, else with the goats. Yeah, you can for for a small herd of goats. Yeah, um, because I didn't want to run a licensed dairy. I I was running the vegetable garden, so that's enough work. And and the goats were mostly the kids' project. We take the milk, put it in the freezer, and in the fall later on when we have time, we'll make it and sell it in the winter. And Christmas is best time for sales, so that gives you income when you don't have vegetables. It, they work nicely together. Yeah. So what advice would you give your own younger self starting off or some things you've learned along the way or things that might have been important back then that maybe took some detours or changes? I think it's one thing that my husband was very cautious about uh, going into debt because farmers around us had just come out of the farm crisis back then and were always saying, you know, don't go into debt. And I think we were overly cautious that maybe we could have expanded our farm a little more than we did, but that's okay. Um, probably better to be overly cautious than overly daring with in finances and farming because you just never know. Um, Farming is a lot of ups and downs, and uh, the weather, I think, is the most unpredictable. You've got to be able to roll with it. So, Excellent. And you have always had a very strong activist passion, too, for sustainability and agriculture and the local community, and all of those things intertwined. You've served on different boards like Fair Share and now on the Moses board and and we're active in getting our local farmers union chapter going. But what what drives that? Because you're busy. <laughs> and again, there's people, particularly women, who who are always feeling strapped for time. But you have always, even when your kids were young and growing mm -hmm. up, made that a priority. And what why why is that such an important part of your life. Well, when we came to the rural community from having lived, you know, been a town person, we didn't know all the issues and we learned a lot about the struggles in rural communities after we got there. Things that we had no idea were issues and issues that have developed over time like losing monarch butterflies and GMO crops and spray drift and things like that that have happened and evolved and are clearly very important. And uh, people get so busy that they don't deal with those things, and and then you can end up like we are now. So um, 
we all have to pay attention and step up. It's really, really important. And that's another thing we taught our kids. We taught our kids about government. When, when they were coming up, we took them to the Capitol to meet the representatives and do those things. And so they vote and they care and they pay attention. And that's all was part of their education too. But it is something that we both, my husband and I have a passion for. Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, and two, you, another arm of your activist work has been in Africa, right? Through the USAID program. Yeah, Farmer to Farmer program. Yeah, tell, tell us a little bit about that, because that's just such an opportunity. Oh, it's a really fun program. It's not anything we could have done when our kids were little. Is it through little. the USDA? It's, um, it's, it's through agency? CLUSA. The, uh, it, that's a national business, or, or, I forget what they call it. Uh, but farmer to farmer exchange. But farmer to farmer program. Program okay. In CLUSA, C L U S A is the acronym, and um, and USAID is associated with that. But um, but it is the business association's money, and they they uh, are looking for farmers. They'll have assignments in different third world countries, and uh, we go to Senegal, but um, which is where Tony was in the Peace Corps and. He always talked about it, and he, and you know, I I knew it meant a lot to him. But until I went there and saw it, I didn't really understand. So it was very, very exciting for me to experience that too. And now we can share that. Um, they're amazing people who have much less than we have, and are eager to learn. And they'll take anything you you bring or teach them and and move it forward to make their lives better. They're very motivated. And they're living in harsh, harsh conditions. So um, it's been a huge opportunity, and I would recommend it to any farmer that wanted to reach out and, and do something like that. Oh, that's fabulous. So how does it work? So the agency, like, lists opportunities they need somebody yeah. for like, like what, about two weeks assignments they're not very they're, long they're about two weeks and, and your and travel expenses are covered your travel is paid and your shots and your passport things that you need they make sure you're taken care of and while you're there you're housed and fed and given a small per diem which there's a lot of money you can spend it and help stimulate their economy we usually i've seen some of those textiles you brought back they're (laughs) gorgeous yeah and we usually use a fair amount of it to buy things while we're there to do our projects so um and we stuff our suitcases with stuff that we take too so uh, but it's really fun and the people are so kind and so generous because you've had the opportunity through that program to connect with a lot of the women in Senegal. Yes. Yes. It usually is women. The women are the ones who grow the food. Um, Men grow peanuts and field crops, but a lot of men are not even present in the country. They leave the country to go work in a, in France or somewhere where they can make more money. And the women are left behind with all the responsibility and they work hard and they work together. They work in community, um, that they're really amazing. They sing together while they work, and and uh, they're very happy, very kind, and generous people. That's great. And speaking of community, something I know near and dear to both of our hearts that has been nurtured over the years in our local community is that community of women. And as part of one of our Moses groups, we have a active group that meets regularly for potlucks and all kinds of things. I could go on. <laughs> all the things that have, have, have gone out from that. But reflect for us on how that's 
affected you personally? Because I know when you first moved, it was probably much more isolating Mm -hmm. as far as a new farmer. And now in a great way, once women connect, we can really welcome new women to the community in ways that just never happened when when we all moved to our land. Yeah, that's true. Um, It was much more isolated. And you were probably one of the first like-minded people that I met out that's right and now we have all our soil sisters and that was exciting in Africa to be with those soil sisters and then come back and be with my other soil sisters but it's it is amazing and and I think that's something that rural women should think about wherever you live is to find your comrades that really helps because that was probably one of the hardest things back when I was out in the country with just my children was another adult woman <laughs> to talk to. And it's different, you know. Women just function differently, and and the support they give each other is so amazing. And we're really lucky with the network we have now, and every, every year it gets bigger. I, there's so many. And I'm uh, convinced, too, that women can grow networks anywhere because – where you and I live is about as conventional dairy mm-hmm. as it can be. And now that we have this group of over 150 women, not all farmers, but women connected under the passion for sustainability and good food and wanting to support all of that, that it's this alternative ag hotbed. <laughs> but it's not. I mean, statistically like still, but, but it feels like it. But, yeah. but wherever one is... It starts small, you know, we didn't start Mm -hmm. that way, but you just keep asking and people keep showing up. And then what gets me really jazzed too is the things that have evolved off of that, like like starting, for example, that Farmers Union chapter, which does more policy and invites Mm -hmm. boys too. But also with, and I know you've been down this road a couple of times with fighting the CAFOs, the confined animal feeding operations and the big dairies and big ag that affect our local communities on both water and so many other levels. But we're currently locally engaged in yet another CAFO battle, but we had a network in place, particularly the women. Yes, that was really really amazing because when we began that, when those laws first passed and we were fighting it, boy, did we feel like the Lone Rangers. The people we connected to were very far from us, mostly. Our neighborhood group was tiny. And now when we're fighting, even though it's unfortunate that the laws made it through, you know, before and we have to do it again, but there's so many more voices and it is really making a difference and it's rippling through the state now instead of us just being a handful speckled through the state. Now we're a, we're a big wave and it's, um, it's got to change things. Yeah. Safety in numbers. Like here at the conference. I know mm-hmm. we all feel like we're on our little organic island sometimes. But it, it is inspiring to be around Absolutely. And when you go from a couple hundred people at this conference to thousands of people, it's very amazing what's happened. You bet. Um, uh, on that note of the future and change, if you, if you had the magic wand for change or could do something miraculously immediately within our agriculture system from any area, policy or other, 
where's your heart leaning now? Because you're so close to so many of these issues. Well, I wish we could get rid of all the chemicals. I think I hate that most of all. But, you know, we just have to keep warrioring on. And I, I guess that's what it's about. And we do it together, make each other strong and hold each other up and just keep going forward with what we know is the right thing. And, yeah, I hate the chemicals, and I know the water is directly tied to that. If we don't have clean water, we don't have life, and none of us will survive. So it's all interrelated, and it isn't really about, for me, it's never been about the money. I'm not concerned with being a wealthy farmer. <laughs> it's not going to happen. And, uh, and that's fine. It's not about money, and we need to... I, th I feel like organic farmers get that. <laughs> they understand that. And dairy farmers and lot, all farmers. But um, it's, there's, there's a moral issue. And that's it's what's right and what's wrong for the future for our kids and our grandkids. We, we owe it to them. So I'll keep fighting to my dying day. Hey, you're our inspiration. Uh, on that note for women new to this organic community or even I know there's always probably hundreds of women at the conference for the first time and they're excited and jazzed what would be some first steps you'd recommend somebody taking on that activism front because things can feel overwhelming mm -hmm. and the issues are so big and things are so small but what are some tangibles that any woman could do well, the very first thing we should do is know who our town board is. Mm. Know who your town board is. Go to a town meeting. Know where you go to vote and vote. We just had an election, a small election. You know, poor little poll workers were sitting there lonely in my township. I bet you not 100 people voted. And it's, uh, those things are really important, really important, and that's not that hard. And once you do that, then maybe you can get involved further. I think the Farmers Union is another great way to strengthen your community and learn a lot about politics. And one thing the statistics have shown and the research has shown with women is when we run for office, we win at the same rate as men. It's just we don't run as often, therefore we're statistically not as represented at the leadership table. And also that we have seen, Della, locally is the number one way a woman will run for office and take on that leadership position is to be asked. And mm -hmm. that's often by another woman. And when I look at now we have three area female kindred sustainability spirits on county boards by us, and they all were asked in different ways. Mm, and that's right. I think, again, that goes back to our inherent nature of being very collaborative and inclusive. But bottom line is we have to ask each other when opportunities right. come up. Well, and um, when we ask, we support. And having that support makes makes you go forward with it. You don't feel alone. You bet. You bet. And, um, and also, too, things like the roles you've played of being on boards. Mm -hmm. I know personally, I always, whenever I see anything like that, and then you see announcements floating around of this organization is looking for board members or this one is, if you think about it, you always know a woman who would be potentially great for that role. Maybe her life <laughs> chapter isn't right for it and that may not be 
something right now, but even just to be asked, you know, and if it's not now, it could be later. I, I always try to, to do that. And sometimes when you're lucky, they say yes, too. <laughs> well, and that's another way of serving. And that's another leadership role. And it can be as simple as being a 4-H leader and on your adult advisory committee, or a church elder, or there's a lot of ways to begin to learn that aren't horribly demanding or scary. And then you can decide if you like that or not. What are some of the things you've learned being on the Moses board? I've been on the Moses board a year now, and um, it's a pretty exciting board right now because we have a new director and we're looking at visions for the future, and there's a lot of opportunities. There's a lot of scary things, but there's a lot of opportunities in organics still. And Moses is such a a well-known organization. The and, mothership. Yeah, really, and, and does such a, a wonderful job especially with this conference. I mean, this is this has got to be the most amazing conference that I've been involved in ever. Um, they just know how to do it. The staff is amazing, and they do a really good job. And, um, and they're pumping out farmers. So, and uh, for folks listening who may be new to Moses, uh, Moses is based in Wisconsin and services the general Midwest, but even then those boundaries are fuzzy and mm-hmm. they're definitely not even boundaries in that the tent is very wide and broad, but this Moses conference we're at now is the largest, as we like to call it, the largest organic event in the known galaxy. Yes. So over 3,600 people descend upon lacrosse and literally take it over. And it's a wide net. It's a lot of farmers, but it's also educators and activists and business people and all of that. But that focus uh, on Moses's mission of supporting farms running businesses. So this right. is intent- organic and yeah, sustainable. Yeah, I mean, this is a uh, intentionally supporting the financial side of organics. Because, yes. yeah, we could talk about sustainability all we want. No, While no one's going into it for the money, we need, <laughs> we need to yours, survive. a viable, healthy yep. business that's uh, succeeded all these years because you can do that in balance with your sustainability values. And it's not one is to sell out for the other. No. Yeah. You gotta, it's all what works for us, what we feel is the right thing to do. And it is great that we continue to teach new farmers, bring young people, because lots of farmers are old, and we still need farmers. We need lots of farmers. And to turn this ship around with the chemicals and the agriculture that's so hard on the soil and the water, we got to teach people alternative ways to do it. And given this momentum and growth, if you were to start over completely today, what areas might you look into? In other words, what advice would you give a beginning woman farmer starting out as far as anything, either crops to tap into or other structures or variations of the CSA? or Well, it depends on the size of property that you have, for one thing, and what you are happy doing. Some people love animals and other people can't stand that. So it's, you need to follow what feels good to you and comfortable and that and not be afraid to learn. Don't be afraid to make mistakes because you will. And that's how we learn. 
and that's okay. Um, it's really okay to make, make a mistake. You won't do it again because you've learned from it. And, um, I, I don't know. I, I think there's, there's courage. You've got to be able to deal with the unpredictable. And, um, that's hard for some people. Maybe you shouldn't be a farmer if you need a lot of structure and order because nature's definitely not going to give that to you. And, um, I, I don't know. I, I Don't be afraid and ask questions and seek support. Excellent. Are there other resources you've found helpful over the years? Obviously, Moses Conference and other resources, but other things, be it books or Always organizations? Books. Yeah. <laughs> Always library. books. It's ridiculous how many books we have. But um, there's, there are a lot of good resources. And now... That when we started, there wasn't all this stuff on the internet, but you can find, you can Google just about anything or, and YouTube it. <laughs> I mean, my son-in-law, that's how he learned to shear the sheep was on YouTube and he's really good at it. So I'm not sure that I would learn that, but, but I think for somebody younger, there's all kinds of stuff out there. Fixing the tractor that when they need to fix the tractor, they go find a YouTube and watch it. And you know what a, Claire Hintz, who runs Elsewhere Farm way up north in Wisconsin on Lake Superior, does, which I thought was fabulous. If she has a problem, something, and she's real good with the MacGyvering and mechanics, but something on the farm she needs to solve, she'll put her problem into Google Translate and translate it into some Eastern European language, Polish or (laughs) Czech. And then she puts that into YouTube and she gets these YouTube videos from these Eastern European countries that were former Soviet bloc that had no resources for so long. So they are so creative, she's found. That's and, you know, really... language may be a barrier, but when you're looking at the visuals, mm-hmm. you get it, you get it. And that makes sense, too, for a smaller-scale farmer because we we need things that are not necessarily readily available. And smaller scale in Europe is common. So that's a really smart idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, on a, another topic related to the female farmer lens we're looking through, have you, how have you over the years seen your role as a woman farmer change or evolve? Or do you still experience gender bias in different ways? Or how do you work through that? I never really thought about it a whole lot. I just did it. <laughs> I just <laughs> did what I needed to do. And... I don't. I tend to put the blinders on and just ignore it, let it roll off my back. Um, there, it's often, you know, I I need to talk to your husband or that kind of stuff. But um, I have. There are my jobs on the farm and his jobs, and um, I think growing vegetables doesn't feel as. Uh, there's a lot of women that do that now, and I I guess maybe when I was isolated alone, I didn't notice. Um, I do have some neighbors that definitely look at me like, mm. <laughs> you, you're a girl. But then I also have Amish neighbors, and they all work hard like I do, and they don't act like that. So, Excellent. Any final pieces of advice for women starting off wanting to be in your shoes in 23 years? 
well, follow your dreams, follow your heart, don't be afraid, and and ask other girls. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Thanks, Della. I will see you back on the home front. Thanks for listening to our In Her Boots podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kiverest, with the Moses Rural Women's Project. This episode's audio engineer was Liam Kiverest of TechSocket.net. This podcast was made possible through support from North Central SARE, Sustainable Agriculture Research and Education, part of a nationwide education program to advance sustainable innovation to American agriculture. The podcast was brought to you by the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, MOSES. The mission of MOSES is to educate, inspire, and empower farmers to thrive in a sustainable organic system of agriculture. For more information on MOSES, the Rural Women's Project, and a bounty of organic resources, check out mosesorganic.org. See you next time.